I'm Father Ron Shibley, founder and director of the Anglican Internet Church, and I welcome you to this podcast homily for 18th Sunday after Trinity, the 19th in a series of 26 homilies for Trinity season. Revisions to this series are part of the AIC celebration of the start of its second decade on the web. The musical theme is the fourth verse of Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, performed by Richard M.S. Irwin and used with his permission. It is also the theme music for the companion video presentation for Trinity Season. Listeners may benefit from the companion AIC seasonal video series, Trinity Tide, the Teaching Season, which is presented in nine episodes, each linked from the digital library page with podcast versions linked from the podcast archive page at www.anglicaninternetchurch.net. The series offers a brief history of the evolution of Whitsunday Pentecost and Trinity season, Anglican traditions of Whitsunday and Trinity, including the seasonal color and fasting traditions, and commentary on the collect, epistle, and gospel readings for Whitsunday Pentecost, Trinity Sunday, and all 24 Sundays after Trinity, and Sunday next before Advent in the 1928 Book of Common Prayer. The epistle reading for 18th Sunday after Trinity is 1 Corinthians 1 verses 4 to 9, a short reading from the pen of St. Paul on the theme of being prepared for, quote, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, unquote. The theme marks a transition toward the celebration of Advent season, which begins on the Sunday closest to the Feast of St. Andrew, celebrated on November 30th. St. Paul assures the faithful that in Christ they have been, quote, enriched, unquote, in words and knowledge by the teachings of Jesus and are not deficient in any way as they prepare for and await the second coming. Traditional Christian doctrine is that we cannot know the when of the second coming or day of the Lord, but must always consider it imminent and be prepared. The Gospel reading for 18th Sunday after Trinity, Matthew 22, verses 34 to 46, part of St. Matthew's account of Jesus' dialogue with a Pharisee concerning which is the greatest commandment, is one of the strongest teaching lessons in the prayer book. It connects the teachings of the Old Testament with those of the New Testament. It is the first of three consecutive lessons from the Gospel of St. Matthew in the waning days of Trinity, the church's teaching season. The place is Jerusalem, most likely on Tuesday of Holy Week, the last week of Jesus' earthly life. The year is 30 A.D. Just before we enter the scene, Jesus had been visiting in Bethany, where he had stayed the previous night, had re-entered Jerusalem, delivered homilies concerning the withered fig tree, answering the question of who is the cornerstone on which faith is built, on how to enter the kingdom of God, and on the concept of resurrection, all angering Pharisees who challenged his authority to teach in the temple and attempted unsuccessfully to trick him with a question concerning the image on a Roman coin. 
Previously, St. Matthew had described how the multitudes were astonished. Later the same day, we enter the scene when the Pharisees had put forward another of their allies, a group of lawyers, hoping to do what lawyers are usually quite good at, getting someone to trip themselves up by their choice of words. Here, lawyer means a person well-versed in the Mosaic Law, found in the five books of Moses, or the Pentateuch, which we know as Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and Leviticus. The lawyer tries to flatter Jesus by calling him by the honored name of teacher, then puts forward his trick question, one which they thought, no matter how he answered, would give the Pharisees an opportunity to accuse him of heresy. These are the same people who, unable themselves to decide which commandment was the greatest, had calculated that there were exactly 613 commandments in the law. Their superiority was announced by the elaborate garments they wore, which included a distinctive wide blue hem, which made them stand apart from the temple priests and certainly from the average person they might encounter in the streets who likely wore garments made of goat hair. Their concern with the absolutes was extreme. For instance, they would drink neither water nor wine without straining it to remove gnats, which were defined in the law as unclean. The lawyer's question in verse 36 was, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? What the lawyer apparently had forgotten was the Hebrew tradition that their God was a God who knew the thoughts of men. Jesus' reply is used as the summary of the law, an alternative to the full statement of the commandments and which was added to the Book of Common Prayer for the first American edition in 1789 A.D. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. In the gospel account of the same incident by St. Mark in Mark 12, 28-34, but not reported in St. Matthew's version, the lawyer says to Jesus, Well said, teacher, you have spoken the truth, for there is one God and there is no other but he and to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the soul, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. According to St. Mark's account, Jesus then said to the lawyer, You are not far from the kingdom of God. Now back to the reading in St. Matthew's version. Jesus, seeing that he has the full attention of the questioner, and the Pharisee he represented turns the tables and asks two questions in verse 42a. What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? The title Christ is the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah. The Hebrews expected that the Messiah would come in the line of David as an earthly king who would lead them out from domination by the Roman Empire. They gave their answer in verse 42b, the son of David. When Jesus replied, he quoted from Psalm 110.1 using the Greek Septuagint text 
the most common scriptural form at that time. Psalm 110.1 is the most quoted verse from the Psalms in the New Testament. In the Greek Septuagint version, there is a phrase which was also used by St. John in the opening verses of Revelation, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Now hear Jesus' reply in Holy Week 30 AD, about a half century before John's use of in the Spirit in Revelation 1.10. The emphasis here is mine. How then does David in the Spirit, call him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit on my right hand, till I make your enemies your footstool. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? According to St. Matthew, quoting in verse 46, No one was able to answer him a word, not from that day on did anyone dare question him any more. Why were the Pharisees well known for their clever use of words left speechless? Modern readers might fail to grasp what it was because they, the self-appointed experts on Hebrew scripture and its interpretation, understood that David, being a king, would not have referred to anyone else as Lord or Hebrew Adonai other than God. Jesus' answer provides one of the clearest affirmations of the doctrine of the Holy Trinity. The Holy Spirit, the third divine person of the Trinity, was in David, just as he was in St. John, the evangelist on Patmos, when he heard the sound of a trumpet and a command from heaven to write Revelation. Although they did not know it, they had heard from Jesus himself that God is a Trinitarian God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Other AIC resources on topics discussed in this podcast homily for 18th Sunday after Trinity are available at our website, www.anglicaninternetchurch.net. From the AIC Bible Study video series, New Testament Gospels, The Greatest Commandment and the Dialogue between Jesus and the Pharisees concerning Psalm 110.1 are discussed in Episode 4. In the AIC Christian Education video series, The Lives of the Saints, in the first series, St. Paul is the focus of Episode 5, St. Mark of Episode 7, St. Matthew of Episode 14. From the second series, Archbishop Cranmer is one of three English martyrs celebrated in episode 28. In the AIC seasonal video series, The Great O Antiphons, in episode one, the focus is on the meaning of Adonai, or Lord. Episodes in our seasonal and Christian education video series are linked from the digital library page, Episodes in Bible study videos are linked from the Bible study New Testament pages. Podcast versions of all three are linked from the podcast archive page. From the AIC Bookstore Publications, first, in the Gospel of Matthew, annotated and illustrated, the dialogue between Jesus and the Pharisees, on which is the greatest commandment, is discussed in chapter 22. The volume includes 117 high-resolution illustrations from the 6th to the early 20th century. In layman's lexicon, 
words and phrases of interest are Commandments, Day of the Lord, Faith, Holy Spirit, Holy Trinity, Kingdom, Litany slash Litanies, Lord, Messiah, Second Coming, and Summary of the Law. In the prayer book Psalter, History, Text, and Commentary, Psalm 110 is discussed on pages 257 to 58. In Revelation, an idealist interpretation, St. John's observation concerning being in the Spirit when he received his revelation is discussed in chapter 1. In the companion Bible study video series of the same name, the incident is discussed in episode 3. Both the video series and the book series include unique illuminations from the 11th century tempera and gilt on vellum manuscript, the Bamberg Apocalypse. All the AIC Bookstore publications are available using the virtual bookstore link at the bottom of the homepage at www.anglicaninternetchurch.net or directly from my Amazon Author Central page, https colon right slash right slash www.amazon.com right slash author right slash Ronald hyphen E hyphen Shibley. Everything after dot com must be in lowercase letters. The first closing prayer for 18th Sunday after Trinity is the final prayer in the Anglican Penitential Office of Litany, the first liturgy of the Church of England published in 1545 A.D., predating the first Book of Common Prayer by four years. The second is the Collect for 18th Sunday after Trinity, which Archbishop Cranmer adapted for the 1549 Book of Common Prayer from the Gelasian Sacramentary as it was used in England in the years before the separation of the Church of England from Rome. O God, merciful Father, who despiseth not the sighings of a contrite heart, nor desire the such as are sorrowful, nor the desire of such as are sorrowful, mercifully assist our prayers which we make before thee in all our troubles and adversities, whensoever they oppress us, and graciously hear us, that those evils which the craft and subtlety of the devil or man worketh against us may by thy good providence be brought to naught, that we thy servants, being hurt by no persecutions, may evermore give thanks unto thee and thy holy church, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And now the collect. Lord, we beseech thee, grant thy people grace to withstand the temptations of the world, the flesh, and the devil, with pure hearts and minds to follow thee, the only God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be merciful to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Glory be to God for all things. Amen. This program has been a presentation of the Anglican Internet Church. 
and we invite you to visit our website and make use of its resources at www.anglicaninternetchurch.net.